Oh, good morning. During the time of Napoleon, there was a political prisoner by the name of Charnay. Charnay had made some comments that had offended Napoleon, and because of that, he had been thrown into prison with no hope of ever getting out. And so as the weeks rolled by and the months rolled by, Charnay just realized that he was going to die in prison, that there was no way that he was ever going to get out. And he began to despair. Charnay had been a Christian. He had been a very strong Christian. But as he sat day after day in that dark dungeon, he just gave up on God. And in a moment of desperation, he took a rock. And with that rock, he, in the side of his cell, wrote these words, All things come by chance. That he had given up the hope that there was a God that was in control. All things come by chance. And so it would have been, except for the fact that in that cell, there was a very small window. And for a few hours every day, from that small window, the sun would come through. And the sun would shine on this area in the middle of that dirt floor on his cell. And after a while, there was a little small green plant that began to poke up through the soil. Now, because that was the only other living thing around him, Charnay's heart went out to this living green thing. And so he took his water that was rationed to him, and he would take some of that, and he would use that to water and tend and care for this plant. And that plant began to grow and grow and grow. And finally, that plant broke out into this beautiful purple and white flowers. And Charnay's heart began to mend itself. And he scrubbed off what he had written on his cell wall before. And in its place he wrote this, He who made all things is God. He who made all things is God. News of Charnay's flower began to circulate through the prison and pretty soon the guards were coming and kind of poking their heads in and seeing this beautiful flower growing up in the middle of his cell. And pretty soon the guards told their wives and gossip started going around. And pretty soon Napoleon's wife Josephine heard about this man and his flower and she reckoned that how could a man with such a, 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 a tender heart even to love this beautiful flower, how could a person like that really be a threat to their society? And so she convinced Napoleon to have Charnay released. It was the tenderness of his heart that set Charnay free. What I want to ask you this morning is how is your heart? As we come to church this morning, as we come to receive from the Lord, how is your heart? I want us to look in our Bibles at Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. This is a parable that Jesus tells. And the only parable that Jesus not only tells the parable, but then he goes on and explains the parable. So we know exactly what it is he's trying to say to us. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 9, and then Mark 4, 14 to 20. This is what it says, Mark 4, 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake, and the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat, and he sat down on it in the lake. And while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parable. And in his teaching, he said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. 
and he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up and grew and produced a crop, multiplying thirty, sixty, or even a hundred times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. A little bit later, Jesus pulls his disciples aside and they ask him about this. And so Jesus explains it in Mark 4.14. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others are like the seed sown on rocky places. They hear the word at once and receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like the seed sown among the thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and they produce a crop 30, 60, or even a hundred times what was sown. Jesus says that if you want to understand about spiritual growth, you have to understand what this parable is trying to say. Basically, he's saying this, that the soil represents your attitude. That in the Christian faith, attitude is everything. That the key to spiritual growth is your responsiveness. Your openness, your attitude. How is your heart? How receptive are you to spiritual truth? Jesus talked about three negative examples of soil that didn't produce much fruit. Number one, he says, firstly, that if you're going to grow spiritually, you must be receptive to growth. And he uses the negative example of the hard-hearted, those who have a hard soil. Growth starts with the right attitude. You have to want to grow. There's a lot of people that aren't growing spiritually. And you know why they're not growing spiritually? It's because they don't want to. It's as simple as that. They simply don't want to. They don't want to grow. You showed up for church today, which means that you show a level of sensitivity a level of receptivity to His Word. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of Christians, nominal Christians, that stayed at home today. There's a lot of people, I I live across the road from a a Mennonite guy, and you know what? He's at home. He's sleeping in this morning. He, He doesn't go to church. He doesn't feel he needs to go to church. He's not open. He's not receptive to spiritual growth. Jesus says that some people in like are like a path. Their hearts are like a path. What is a path? What differentiates a path from regular soil? Well, a path is an area that's hard and narrow. A path is an area that's hard and narrow. And there's a lot of people today whose hearts are hard and they are narrow. They are hard-hearted and narrow-minded. They're not open to hearing what God wants to say to them. And so when God speaks, when they hear things about God, it fall, those seeds fall on them, but then the devil comes and just removes them instantly. It doesn't penetrate into who they are. 
These are the kind of people that it talks about in Acts 28, verse 26, when it says, Go to these people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes. In other words, they may see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Have you ever known someone that had a hard heart? Whose heart was hard and narrow? It's the kind of person you walk up to them and you try to talk about God with them and they say, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about it. Generally speaking, a person's heart becomes hard for one of three different reasons. Number one, some people's hearts grow hard because of fear. They've closed their minds to God because of fear. Because they understand that if they listen to God and are receptive to God, then God is going to ask them to change. And they don't want to change. Maybe there's something in their life that they don't want to deal with. Maybe there's something in their life they don't want to, uh, you know, have to get rid of. They, they, they're fearful that God is going to ask them to do something that they're not willing to do. And because of fear, they close their mind to God. They don't want to hear about it. I had a friend that was like that once. I had a friend that was dealing with a certain issue in his life. And because he wasn't willing to give up that issue, he ended up walking away from the faith, stopped going to church, gave up on Christ altogether. He did that because of fear, number one. Number two, a second reason people close down their hearts, they shut their hearts to God, is because of anger and bitterness. Maybe something has happened to them in the past that has made them resentful to God. Sometimes it's because of something that they think that God has done. Maybe they lost a child. Maybe they lost a loved one to, to some kind of a sickness. Maybe they were abused as a child. Maybe some injustice was done to them. And, and, or they went through some kind of a terrible experience at some point in their life. And they believe that because they went through that ordeal, it means that God is against them. This is the rationale. If God is in control of everything, and this thing happened to me, then God must be the one who caused it to happen. And can I tell you, that's not true at all. That's not true. Bad things happen to us in life, not because God causes them to happen to us in life, but because we live in a fallen and a sinful world. If you get the stomach flu, it's not because God wants you to throw up. Okay? It's because you got a bug. And you got a bug because you live in a sinful world and because you have a fallen body. That's why you got sick. But they blame everything back on God. They close their minds to God because they blame Him for something that's happened in their life. They blame God. Sometimes, though, it's not so much as blaming God. They blame God's people. In other words, these are people that were hurt not by God, but by His church. I know that there are people here that were hurt by a church in the past. They went through some kind of a, a, an experience in their life that was very damaging, that was very hurtful, and it was caused by God's people. People who, in the name of Christ, did something that really had nothing to do with Jesus whatsoever. It was done in the name of religion. There are so many dumb things that are done in the name of religion. So many things that are done and people claim to be using the Bible as their guide and yet they do such horrendous, 
awful things. And can I say to you again, that's not God's issue. That's just living in a fallen world. Can I say to you this? If your heart has been broken before, the way you deal with a broken heart is not by tucking it away and making sure that heart is never broken again. The body responds to trauma by developing a callus. You know what calluses are. person who plays the guitar, their fingers begin to bleed and their fingers begin to hurt. And so what the body does is the body says, well, I don't want you to damage yourself, so I'm going to form layers of skin on your fingers so that as you play the guitar, that doesn't happen anymore. You don't hurt yourself anymore. It's the body's natural response to harm. And the same thing can happen with your heart. When your heart is broken, people tend to back up and they begin to say, oh, I'm going to put a callus around my heart. I'm going to put a shell around my heart. I'm going to protect it so that nothing can ever hurt me again. But can I tell you, if you cannot be hurt, you cannot love. C.S. Lewis said it this way, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. You will want to make sure of keeping it intact. You give your heart to no one, not even an animal. You wrap it carefully around hobbies and little luxuries. You avoid all entanglements. You lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will begin to change. It will not be broken, but it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from the dangers of love is hell. And that's true. You don't respond to hurt by saying that you're never going to be hurt again by allowing a callus to form over your heart. Just because you ate out once at a restaurant and you had a bad experience doesn't mean that you'll never eat out at a restaurant again, right? Just because you go to a doctor and maybe you have a bad experience as a doctor, that doesn't mean you'll never visit a doctor again, right? No, that would be crazy. Just because you've had a bad experience in a church doesn't mean you'll never set foot in a church again either. Or you've been hurt by some other person that you'll never offer your heart to another person again. To love is to risk. We close our minds to God because of fear. We close our minds to God because of bitterness. We close our minds to God because of pride. If a person says, you know what? I've learned all I can learn. There's no farther to go. I have achieved everything I wanted to achieve in life. You know, I have arrived. Then that's a person that's not going to be receptive to spiritual growth. Self-sufficiency is the death of spiritual growth. You will not seek a savior unless you think you need one. Fear, bitterness, pride. These are all things that turn our hearts into paths that make us unreceptive to what God wants to do in our lives. We have to be careful. Even as a Christ follower, you can have areas of your heart that are hard. We never give God a chance to work in our lives because we never read his word. Because we're never allowing that seed to get inside of us. We don't allow God to answer prayer because we never pray. We don't permit God to do miracles in our lives because we don't believe in them or because we don't expect them. 
So let me ask you this morning, how is your heart? How is your heart? Are you receptive to growth or has your heart become hard? Has your heart become a path? Number one. Number two. The second thing Jesus says is not just the hard-hearted. It's not simply that you have to be receptive to growth. Number two, you have to be resolved to growth. That means it has to be a decision. It has to be an act of the will. Jesus talked about the faint-hearted, about those who have thin soil. The seed falls in the soil and it grows fine. But because the soil is very thin, there's no root. I remember going down to South Carolina in 1989, right after Hurricane Hugo. And when we went there, it was amazing because entire forests had fallen down. Every single tree, not one tree or two trees, every tree in the entire forest was on its side. And I said, why, did, why was there such devastation? Why did this happen? I mean, entire forests literally wiped out. And the guy I asked said, it's simple. Thin soil. You know, these trees didn't have any root. And because they didn't have any root, when the wind began to blow against them, they just toppled. Have you ever known a Christian like that? It's all hallelujah, praise the Lord, God is good all the time. But the first little thing that happens to them in life, they just give up on their faith. They're just devastated. It knocks them over and they don't get back up again. That's because their soil is thin. They have no root. How do you gain root? You act on what God tells you. You don't simply hear it and then forget about it. Have you ever gotten excited in a sermon? Has there ever been a time when, when, when you, were, you were listening to the radio or you're listening to a sermon or you're listening to music or something like that and, and suddenly God's truth comes to your mind and you grab it and it, you know, a tear comes to your eye and, and you get a quiver in your liver. You get all excited. You say, Amen, yes, that's true, that's right. And you get up and you walk out and you do nothing about it. Is it any wonder that your life doesn't change? Because you see, in order for truth to make a difference, it has to be truth that is acted upon. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Look, as a parent, all you parents, have you ever asked your kids to clean their rooms? Okay, let me ask you a question. If you as a parent went up to your child and said to them, I want you to go, your room is like a disaster area, like a tornado. It looks like Hurricane Hugo went through there, you know. I want you to go and I want you to clean your room. Now, what happens if your child said, you want me to clean my room? Thank you for asking me. I've been waiting for you to ask me. Oh, mom, dad, I'm so grateful that you would ask me, yes, me, to clean my room. This is such a wonderful opportunity for me. I'm going to go do it right now. And they're, they're dancing around the house and they're singing songs. I'm going to clean my room. I'm going to clean my room. And they write books about it and they update their Facebook post. I'm going to clean my room. It's going to be great. And they tell all their friends, I'm cleaning my room. This is the most wonderful thing that's ever happened to me. And they don't do it. Now, are you as a parent going to be happy? Are you as a parent going to say, Man, I'm, I'm glad my kid is excited. That's, you know, it's the heart that counts. It's, you know, 
It doesn't matter if they actually do it as long as they're, they're, they want to do it. You know, that's the important. No, of course not. You're going to tell your kids, I don't want you singing. I don't want you dancing or writing books or updating your faith. I want you to go and I want you to clean your room. And likewise, don't you think from God's perspective, when God speaks to us, it's not enough just to get excited about it. It's not enough just to have a tear in your eye. It's not enough to sing about it. It's not enough to dance about it or lift your hands or write a book about it. It's not enough. What God wants is faithfulness. What God wants is for you to get up from your chair and to do something about it. And only then, only then, can God take that and can God use that in your life. And to grow you into Christian maturity. Matthew 7, 26 says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house and said, The rain came down, the streams rode, and, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. In other words, you have to, you have to build your life on a foundation. A foundation of truth. A foundation that lasts. That foundation is not simply hearing the word, it's doing the word. Perseverance is something you must live. You don't simply learn. You can talk about weightlifting, you can read books about weightlifting, but it's not going to do you any good until you actually pick up the metal bar and you begin to use it. Heard a story about a, a famous concert musician guy who plays the piano and someone once asked him if you were called on short notice to come and do a piano recital do you think you could do it and he said yes of course I could I am always ready I have practiced eight hours a day for 40 years and the person said you've practiced eight hours a day for 40 years wow man I wish I had been born with that determination and this man shot back. We're all born with it. I simply use mine. It's true. We're all born with it. It's just that some choose to use it and some don't. If you're going to grow, you must be receptive to growth. You must be resolved to growth. You must resist distractions to growth. Number three. This is the weedy soil. The soil that fell amongst the thorns. It starts to grow, but then the weeds come and they choke the seeds, and so it doesn't bear fruit. There are a lot of things that can get in the way of you growing spiritually. Let me say it to you this way. Not everything in, you do in life has to be bad for it to be bad for you. You understand what I'm saying? You can do something that's not bad, but it can be bad for you. If you do it to the exclusion of what God wants for you. We fill our lives with so many things. There's so many things that we do. And they're not bad things. They're good things. They're fine things to do. But the problem is, God doesn't want you to do things simply because they're good. God wants you to do the best things. The things that will help you to accomplish your mission. The purpose for which you were born. 
Those are the things that we need to spend our time on. Those are the things that we spend our treasure and our talents on. The things that help us to accomplish the mission for which God placed us on this earth. Why are there so many people that live unproductive lives? It's a very simple truth. You know what the secret to the unproductive life is? It's an overcrowded life. An overcrowded life. Why do so many people become believers but never grow in their faith? An overcrowded life. Their life is so full of so many different things that they don't make time for God. Let me ask you a question. What do you worship? What do you worship? If you want to answer that question, let me ask you this. What do you spend your time on? What do you spend your money on? Because what you spend your time on and what you spend your money on determines what you worship. You want to ask yourself what you worship? Look at your day timer. Look at the past week. Where is it that you spent your time, your treasure, and your talents? That determines what you truly worship. Farmers don't usually plant two crops in the same soil because they compete. One com- does this and the other does, it, it doesn't do that. You've heard me say this before, that my wife will not share popcorn with me. When we were dating, she did. It was fine when we were dating. We'd get a big bowl of popcorn. We'd sit down to watch a movie and we'd both share out of the bowl. Um, she doesn't do that anymore. Why? Because when Naomi sits down to eat popcorn, she takes like one kernel at a time. One kernel and puts it in her mouth and then chews it 90 times. You know, whole movie, you know, maybe five kernels of popcorn. You know, she, you know, I don't do that. I'm like the two-handed approach to popcorn. One in the bowl, one in the hand, and then you reverse. You know, that's the way I eat popcorn. Fist at a time, you know. If we're going to eat it, let's do it right. You know. So she learned, don't eat popcorn with me out of the same bowl. So now she makes popcorn, she gives me a bowl, she takes a bowl, you know. And I finish my bowl in 30 seconds and it takes her four days. But it's okay. She doesn't share bowls of popcorn with me because I take too much. And likewise, we sometimes try to share our lives with God. But what we share our lives with God with are things that take too much. They eat too much. They consume too much of our time and our treasure and our talents. So we have nothing left at the end of the day to give to Him. What does Jesus say here? What are the weeds that He talks about? He talks about three kinds of weeds. Number one are the worries of this life. Let me tell you this, the more things you own, the more things you have to look after. The more toys you have, the more can go wrong with them. The more you own, the more you have to look after. The word there for worry is memnema. It means to be pulled in different directions. That the things we own, that the things we possess can pull us apart. Because we spend all of our time looking after them. He talks about number two, the deceitfulness of wealth. Riches can choke your vitality. The desire to make more and to make more and to make more money. I know people who take, you know, one, two, three jobs so they can buy things that they don't really need. And that desire for wealth chokes. I'm not saying that money is bad. We all know that money in itself is neutral. It's not good or bad. 
but it's the desire for wealth, the desire for more. I have to have more. That can choke out what God wants to do in our life. And the other thing is desire for other things. In the KJV, it's the word lust. The desire for other things. That sometimes we can be so focused on just getting this or getting this or getting that. Whatever it is that we don't have time for God. How do you deal with a weed? We all know that you don't walk out to a dandelion and pick off the flower. Does you absolutely no good. You don't just mow it with a lawnmower because guess what's going to happen in a couple of days? They're all going to be back. How do you deal with a weed? You eradicate them. You pull them up from the root. You nuke them with weed killer. Whatever it is, you find something that's going to not simply take off the flower. It's going to get to the very, very bottom of the root in order to kill them. That's how you deal with the root. And that's what God calls us to do as Christians. To look at our schedules, to look at our calendars, to say, is there anything that's getting in the way of us being productive for Him? Is there anything getting in the way of us achieving our life mission for Him? And eliminate those things. Heard the story of a linebacker by the name of Mike Cole, and he played for the Miami Dolphins. And he was asked by his coach if he would do some recruiting, go to a couple of different high schools and colleges and do some recruiting for him. And he said, sure. But, but let me tell you, coach, he said, what kind of person are we looking for? And the coach said, well, Mike, there are those kind of guys where you hit them and they go down and they don't get back up again. And Mike said, we don't want them, do we, coach? No, Mike, we don't want them. But then there's that guy that you hit him and he falls down, but then he gets back up again. But you hit him, he goes down, and he doesn't get back up. Well, we don't want him, do we, coach? No, Mike, we don't want him. But then there's that guy. There's that guy. And you hit him, and he goes down, but he gets back up. And you hit him, and he goes down, but he gets back up. And you hit him, and he goes down, and he gets back up. And Mike says, that's the guy we want, isn't it, coach? He said, no, that's not the guy we want. And Mike says, well, well, who do you want? I want the guy that keeps knocking everyone down. That's the guy I want. Is that our passion in life? Is that our desire in life? That we're going to go after life with all that we're worth. That we know that someday we're going to have to stand before God and we're going to have to give an account of our years on this earth. That someday we're going to have to stand before God and God's going to ask us, what did you do with the gifts and the abilities and the experiences I gave you? Did you squander them? Or did you use them for the maximum potential? For the maximum growth? Did you use your life in service, in my service? Building my kingdom and not your kingdom. Someday we all have to give an account of our lives before God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I would simply pray that through your Holy Spirit, that Lord, you would ask each one of us today to inspect our hearts. Where is our commitment to you this morning? Do we have a closed mind? Do we have a superficial commitment? Do we have an overcrowded life? Have we placed other things in our lives before you? Or are we placing you first? Father, I'm so thankful for this church. I'm so thankful for this place, Lord, and for these people. 
And Lord, I'm so grateful that you've called us to follow you. And that, Father, you've given each one of us a life mission. I pray, Lord, that as we seek your face, that, Father, we would be receptive soil. That, Father, we would be in our hearts places where your word can grow and where we can take what we have received, the word that we have received, and we can grow it and we can multiply it 30, 60, 100 times what was given to each one of us. We thank you, Father, for this. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And just before the band ends in a, in a song, you know, it's, it's very easy to preach a message like this. It's very, very easy. We sang that song before that I stand with hands high, you know, arms wide open. When you stand with your arms wide open, it means that you're at a place of surrender. I surrender. I surrender. Surrendering to God is a hard thing. Surrendering to God means that you are receptive to anything that he would tell you and that you are obedient to whatever God would want to do in your life. And years ago, you know, I surrendered to God and I told him that no matter what happened to me in life, that I was going to try to be obedient. As we close the service today, I have to say that, um, you know, as a family, a couple of months ago, that, uh, that we were approached by a church in Toronto that's looking for a pastor with the missions background and international experience that I have. And for the last couple of months, we have been praying very hard about God's will for our lives. And I, I have to share this morning that um, in obedience, we feel that we as a family have to respond and we have to accept this position. And so I am resigning as your pastor today. And um, I have to say that the last three years has been an incredible time for us as a family. And we have really uh, loved this place and loved the hospitality and the, the love that we have found the people. John Dyke's going to come forward as I babble on. Uh, and uh, the leadership this is not a surprise to them. They've received a letter of resignation from me. And uh, I just want John to, uh, to respond to that this morning. So God bless you, John. Yeah, good morning. Yeah, it is. We were a little bit surprised, too, with... Uh